Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Psilocybin Says. I'm your co-host, Eric Osborne. Courtney Rose will be joining me in this episode, so fear not. This conversation we're having today is with a national treasure. Her name is Nancy Roberts. You may not have heard of her, but you've probably been impacted by her. She is, in fact, one of the first women and first individuals in the cannabis industry in the United States. She has some amazing stories to share, some of which she does share in this episode, some of which uh, revolve around my family and their involvement in the cornbread mafia. It's been a long journey, my friends, for those who have stood up for cannabis and psychedelics, but we are making some serious headway thanks to courageous people like Nancy. It is such a pleasure to share this conversation with you. Unfortunately, we had some uh, video snafus, so the video kind of cuts in and out, uh, but the audio is going to be great, and that's really what's important is hearing all the wonderful things that Nancy has to say, including a discount for our listeners to her online Delta 9 dispensary. She has some incredible products, some of which combine uh, functional mushrooms as well as CBD and Delta 9 THC. So we really are excited to offer that to our listeners. The coupon code is in the show notes. We use her products all the time, and we love them. Especially, I've been using this Inspire, which is a Lion's Mane Delta 9 uh, gummy, which, man, I love the way I feel when I take that. And you will, too. You will also love this interview. I know you're going to love this conversation. I look forward to your feedback. Please, please, please give us a rating. Give us a review. Let people know how much you love our show. Spread the word, spread the spores, and spread the love. All right. Visit Nancy's website, onelovedispensary.com. Pick up some products for your friends and your family, and enjoy the show. Thanks for being here, Nancy. Thank you for having me. I've yeah. been looking forward to this. Me too. It's been so nice getting to know you a little bit better and getting to know your gummies a little bit better. <laughs> Those gummies have been... I know them better than you do. <laughs> this is true. But I don't know if I told you this, but I we had the flu. It's been a month now, I think. Was that a month ago already? Yeah, we've talked about it on the podcast. We had the flu and initially, you know, I had like the body pains and it was just like racking pain mm -hmm. and chills. And the first couple of days, you know, I was taking Tylenol and ibuprofen and stuff. And the third day, I was just like, this is not moving the needle for me, like the Tylenol and ibuprofen. So Eric suggested that I eat a gummy and good suggestion i was like <laughs> that does sound like it would help and i ate a gummy and it was like uh i could finally just like relax and go to sleep mm -hmm. and i am so grateful <laughs> well i'm so glad it helped but you know that's how we got through covid that's kind of uh, how we get through everything. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know it, it the best thing you can do is sleep and that is what tends to be the hardest thing to do when you're sick. So it's great to have something just to kind of knock you out and mm -hmm. ease things up and mm -hmm. let you rest. Yeah. So I'm glad they helped. I actually heard that the gummies have reintroduced you to enjoying cannabis. 
Oh, oh, uh, yes, they have very much so. I mean, I've, yes, I've been a long time, long time, maybe not long time. It all is relative, but I've How been a long? cannabis user How for long? like, well, since I was, um, since I was 21, mm-hmm. I suppose. So I'm 32, uh, just revealed my age for the first time, I think, uh, on the podcast. Um, so yeah, about 11 years. Is that 11 years? No, wait. Yeah, that's 11 years. That's, I've been using cannabis for longer than that. It's been like, no, it's been 15 years. I'm totally wrong, but it's been long enough. But when we were arrested in 2015, I halted mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. We were on probation for two and a half years. And there was always like the looming threat of being drug tested with our probation yes. officer. Although the only time we ever did was when we asked to be for the record. <laughs> um, but yeah, I didn't use cannabis that whole time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then uh, I became pregnant and had Theo. And then my second pregnancy, I had horrible morning sickness, actually all day sickness for the first trimester. And uh, we were living in Jamaica and I started using cannabis uh, again, really mm-hmm. during that time through edibles so but then when we've been back up here you really haven't been very i think what you like it seems like what you like about the gummies is the the predictability and whether or not you're going to be up or down you know like that's been for courtney she's one of those really sensitive people that uh almost regardless of strain gets really tired uh, mm-hmm, with mm-hmm, cannabis mm-hmm, and so i think that's been a big factor for her is that oh this is one that i know will reliably give me some energy rather than zap it out of me and also dosing mm-hmm. because i mean most of us have lived in this world of um especially here in kentucky of cannabis edibles that are either coming in from out of state or maybe unknown origins. (laughs) Most likely. I mean, that's why I think a lot of people stop using cannabis as they are, especially edibles, Mm -hmm. is, you know, people have bad experiences. And with the, you know, legal... Consistent products that are third-party tested. We send everything for a separate lab result before we put them on the shelf, too. But, you know, when you know what you're getting, you can dial in your medication. And then you can actually have what you need from the plant, Mm -hmm. you know, and that can vary because there's microdosing with THC too. Mm -hmm. And Jana, my business partner and I, we have really done a lot of dialing in of just like natural plant medicine in general. Both of us have five children and both of us have either like ourselves, we've had weird kind of like chronic health conditions or we have loved ones that have had chronic health conditions, some of them being severe. So both of us have been on this path for years of trying natural treatments um, and learning how to dial those in. And that's kind of like cooking. You know, Mm -hmm. it's an art, but Mm -hmm. it's a science. Mm -hmm. 
And when I started learning how to do that with cannabis is when I really started seeing the power in the plant. And that includes microdosing THC. So like the gummies, those are farm bill compliant, of course, and they're hemp derived. And a lot of people wonder why they are legal. And the way that Delta 9 THC is legal, and to circle back, you know, some people say, what's Delta 9? Delta 9 is the THC we all know and love. That's the THC that when you think of THC, it is, you know, one of the major cannabinoids in a cannabis plant, and it is intoxicating. But um, the THC must be hemp-derived. Mm. And so you have to be able to show, show seed-to-shelf compliance. You have to show that the THC was extracted from a legal hemp plant, not a cannabis plant. And then you have to make sure that the um, concentration of THC in the edible is compliant, and that's 0.3% by weight. So basically, you have to have, if you have a six-gram gummy, for example, that's 6,000 milligrams. So 0.3% of 6,000 milligrams is 18 milligrams. Well, gummy girl gummies are 10 milligrams because we want to make sure that no matter what lab tests them, no matter if there is a slight variance in the manufacturing process, we know for sure they're always going to test legal. Mm. And so that's why you see the Delta mm. 9 products, products out there that are legal, and that's why you see the milligram content you're seeing in those legal Delta 9 products out you know, on the shelves today. Okay. Okay. So you've you've been involved in the cannabis world for a, a very long time. Um, yes. I I would I would love. I know this is not the time. I, I want to hear so much. I've been so curious since you mentioned my family's relationship to your early business. I've been oh. so so curious on a personal level your experience there. And I know we can you can talk about that if you want a little bit here, uh, but probably not going to be the focus of our conversation. But I would love one day to hear some stories about uh, about that whole world for you. Um, but today, you know, we're talking more about mushrooms. Um, I don't mind talking about that another it, time. And we have some amazing stories about our experiences and how things went together um, for us because I own New Earth and I opened New Earth Organics and Hydroponics in 1988 as Bluegrass High Tech H-I hyphen T-E-K. It was the 80s. <laughs> but we opened as Bluegrass High Tech in 1988 and we were the first hydro slash grow shop in the southeast so we had people driving up from florida i mean it there were less i think there were 92 grow shops in the united states wow. when we opened i would love if you could just um 
I think there's value for our listeners to at least understand some of Kentucky's role in the cannabis mm. industry, right? Because Kentucky was very much a foundational Absolutely. leader in cannabis. It's been forgotten, I feel like. So could you maybe just talk about that a little bit? I would like to say we can thank our friends in the Cornbread Mafia for that. Yeah, those actually. are my, my uncles. Hey, guys, you're gone, but thank and you. <laughs> I have so much respect and appreciation for what they did and um, and what they're still doing today, mm. really. So basically in that general section of Kentucky. That is a huge area. That was a huge area for bourbon Mm -hmm. production. Mm -hmm. And then during Prohibition, bourbon just, you know, really, really grew in that area, you know, black market bourbon. And that area of Kentucky, central Kentucky, there's not a lot of opportunities either. Mm And so they were making a living as best they could, you know, basically running bourbon during that time period. And that wasn't the cornbread mafia, but that was the culture Mm -hmm. in central Kentucky at that time. And you had to make money that way. You had to, you know, support your family somehow. Mm -hmm. And so when the cornbread mafia as they were, you know, called, they were basically just a bunch of guys that, you know, started growing cannabis. And that was just another extension of that culture of doing what you needed to do in order to, you know, make a living and raise your families. Mm -hmm. But they brought in so many different strains, Mm -hmm. and they really moved cannabis as an industry along and i know there's been a lot of um popular media that has portrayed them you know as a mafia and that is a loose term but they've done so much for the breeding the strains Mm -hmm. and actually you know making kentucky one of the leaders in the nation for cannabis Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and one day with legalization we will rightly assume that role yes i I fully believe that i fully believe and they also did a lot for the upward mobility of the communities that they were in oh my gosh yes that's where i grew up johnny boone lived a half a mile from my house and I know that they financially helped elderly in their area, that they gave toys to kids at Christmas. You know, mafia is very much a misnomer. They were a, a collective, if you will. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and really just ahead of their time. For sure. For well, sure. I owe a lot to the Cornbread Mafia, and I have great loyalty to them because without the Cornbread Mafia, I don't think I would be here today mm. and be where I'm at today because when I owned New Earth and we opened in 88, um, I think it was 89 that we had um, Operation Green Merchant hit. So we opened New Earth, and we were... The first, you know, grow shop, if you will, in this region. And when we did this here in Kentucky, 
I'm just going off a rabbit trail here. Yeah, that's fine. I don't that's know fine. if this we're ever going to come back to gummies. Valuable and interesting, yeah. yeah. But when we opened, people in Kentucky didn't really even understand you could grow cannabis indoors. Mm-hmm. We had been doing that. My um, ex-husband, John, he and I started growing indoors, and in, I guess it was 85 And the way that happened was, of course, we were, well, I started, I started smoking cannabis when I was 12, (laughs) and I'm a contributing member of society today. (laughs) Um, I'm I'm not saying we should all be doing that, but I mean, I did. Mm -hmm. And I think that's because I'm um, probably not neurotypical, Mm -hmm. and I want it to feel better, Mm -hmm. you know? And I was seeking it out. The way we smoked it is we went to Toys for Tots. (laughs) We were like, there's weed at concerts. Of course, the only concert my mom would let me go to was the Toys for Tots concert. (laughs) So we were like, we're going to Toys for Tots, and we wandered around until we found somebody that, you know, was passing a joint, and we just perched over by them (laughs) until we got it. (laughs) We were like, yeah. But that is when I first started, really, with my interest in cannabis. And I started smoking it. I, I consider it as a medicine, as a, you know, mm. even at around 14, I started consuming cannabis and had a lot of ups and downs with it, honestly. It wasn't like I, at 14 years old, I was like all about using it medicinally, but it was medicinal use. Mm-hmm. And I believe, you know, to this day, all cannabis actually is mm-hmm. medicinal mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it feeds our endocannabinoid systems. Absolutely. Regardless, I got into that. That was a lifestyle for me. I always loved the plants. I was making edibles by the time I was 16 and, you know, doing the crock pot butters and everything. And so by the time, you know, we saw something in High Times magazine saying, you can grow cannabis under lights, we saw it, and we were like, <laughs> we're doing this. <laughs> and I remember John looked at me. He said, look, they say you can grow you know, pot under blights now. And we were like, let's do it. So we actually put together our own lighting system with parts that we got from hardware stores, not probably not compliant, <laughs> you know, UL, not UL listed, but we started growing and um, we grew for three years, I think. And there's a lot of stories mm-hmm. about those years. And honestly, we were killing it. <laughs> We kind of got our whole routine going on how we were growing, and we got seeds from Neville, which old-timers remember Neville over in Amsterdam, and um, he was shipping seeds over here, and, you know, we got seeds from Neville and brought Northern Lights. I, I think we could have been the first people to bring Northern Lights into Kentucky, 
um, back in the mid-80s through those seeds that we got. And we were really doing a fabulous job. We had it all going. Um, We started doing the jar pot, too. And this is like nobody, we decided we were going to market our products by um, jarring it up. And so we started putting everything in, you know, pint jars and quart jars. And we started the jar (laughs) pot. And really had a great career growing, you know, under the radar. It was tough, though. I mean, it was the 80s. There was a lot of paranoia. We had a lot of close calls, which is why we moved into, you know, opening a shop. Mm -hmm. Because one day we had a really bad close call where we thought, you know, we were going to go to jail Mm -hmm. and we didn't. And that was like, okay, that's it. We have to move on. Do you want to hear about the close call? It's a funny story. You didn't go to jail? No. Like, I mean, you almost Uh -uh. went to jail, so let's hear about this. (laughs) Well, we were deep in, and we had a house in Middletown that was like our grow house. And um, the downstairs we were growing in, we had a propagation room. We had a trim room, you know, had it all dry room. And we knew that there had been, we knew we were hot. We knew that there had been people talking about us and we were under investigation. And so we just were trying to get this last crop done and then we were going to take a break. Well, this was back before cell phones. (laughs) And so we were doing business with a bunch of musicians in Nashville And everybody was afraid to talk on the phone. So we had this one dude that was a studio musician down there, and he was wanting to come get all of the product to take back to Nashville, and he was afraid to call us because, you know, everyone was afraid. And so he rented a car and put on a suit and drove up to our house in Louisville. And then he came to our door, and he was in a town car, and he's knocking at the door, (laughs) pounding at the door. Well, nobody came to our house, obviously. We weren't expecting anyone, and it was a town car and a dude in a suit at our front door, pounding. So we're panicked. We're upstairs looking out the windows. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And we were like, well, this is it. Yeah. We're walking down the stairs, and I will never forget going down those stairs just sweating, thinking, okay, this is it. And we open the front door, and it's our friend. And we were like, oh, my God. And then we, you just fell to the ground. The fuck? <laughs> Can you pick a yes. better car and a better suit and yes. dress? Like what? The? Wow! Yeah. At least a phone call. Oh God! But that's when we quit. Yeah. Uh, and okay. that is when we opened New Earth. Well, your store contributed to our paranoia because I used to go buy coconut koya from you all to grow pounds of psilocybin. <laughs> 
<laughs> and we experienced quite a bit of that same paranoia. Well, thank and, you for your business. <laughs> we, we have, I, I was I was paranoid going in your shop because we I didn't know you. I remember your husband in there, and I was just like people had told me, "Oh, New Earth, you can't, you got to watch them. They're being oh. watched," and blah blah blah. And so, like, I was always sketched out going in there and getting my stuff, but. I mean, like, I know. It was really a time of great fear Mm -hmm. for everybody. And, you know, we went into the business after that, which was amazing, very exciting. And we um, were really, really slow when we first opened. Mm -hmm. So we advertised in high times. Well, once we started advertising in high times, we started getting people from all over the Southeast. And that's also why we were targeted with Operation Green Merchant. And that was a nationwide sting on grow shops in 1989. And what they did is the DEA um, went in to basically um, entrap everyone um, a few people actually had SWAT style, like people knocking down their doors. Some friends of ours that were selling beneficial insects who had children had their doors knocked in SWAT style by the DEA during that raid. Um, and they were selling ladybugs. Insane. They insane. and this was all a result of the big "just say no" campaign. Mm-hmm. Nancy Reagan, um, Reagan was in office, and Nancy Reagan, if you all recall, I don't know if you I remember, do, yeah. but she was really unpopular. She wasn't really liked very well, and they needed something for her mm-hmm. to do that was going to kind of like grab hold of the nation and get people behind her. And they chose "just say no,", no. no. and then that was part of of that entire campaign. But they came in and they tried to entrap us. And we fortunately had prior notice that they, well, what happened? I'll tell you this story too. Um, They came in and we knew that because up until about 89, if you went to a grow shop, which there were few, you could, like, they were selling, like, Sensamia Tips magazines. You could talk openly about growing. And they started cracking down on that. And so there was a little bit of a gray area, though. We weren't sure, like, where our safe zone was. But we were understanding it wasn't where it used to be. So when um, the DEA agents came in, you know, posing as growers, one of them had this clipboard with a Sensamia tips on it and a seed bank catalog. And that was Neville's business, the guy I mentioned mm-hmm. earlier. That was, you know, he started Seed Bank. But um, they they were kind of leaning that clipboard down so we could kind of see mm-hmm. what they mm-hmm. had, but it wasn't just like right in our face. And then they were saying they were growing tomatoes, but they were, you know, it was kind of a wink and nod thing. And we needed to make money. I mean, we were brand new, and we were trying to pay the bills. And so I remember they were in there, and we had a discussion. Should we sell to them or not? We were a little concerned. 
And after discussing it, we decided to sell to them. And they had a 250-watt light and some fertilizer, so next to nothing, you know. And they tried to pay with a check. This was in 89. Remember this. And we were cash only. And then they wanted to charge it. We were cash only. I mean, it was 89. We were a grow shop. So we made them leave to go get cash, and they were pissed because, of course, they didn't want cash. When you entrap someone, it, yeah. you want a paper trail. You don't want to pay cash. So they ended up going out to Shepherdsville because we were on Highway 44 in Shepherdsville at that time. And they went to go get the cash. And by the time they came back, other stores had been hit. We had been called and we knew it was entrapment. So literally, we're, we're there just waiting for these guys to come back with their money. We're getting the phone calls and hearing about the SWAT teams and everybody all over the nation getting hit. Damn. Wow. Now that's a close call right there. Yeah. I have a question. Wow. Yeah, this is huge. This is incredible. I knew we were going to be able to just get off. Oh, man. <laughs> so, hold on. But I don't really understand because what um, – I'm clearly missing something big because I don't understand what's illegal about selling a, a light and fertilizer. It's illegal if you know it's going to be used to commit a crime. Uh, so, they told you – that that's what their plan was, or they indicated that well, that's what their plan that was. Well, that was nebulous because that's assuming that we saw and understood what was on their clipboard. Wow. And okay. also assuming that we understood when they said they were growing tomatoes and said it in a manner like a wink and a nod manner that we had enough emotional intelligence to understand that's not what they really meant. What? But that was going to be how they busted us, you know, is through that. I personally think that's more criminal than growing a fucking plant. Well, that's how it all operated back then, you know, which is is when the cornbread mafia, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's when they were really growing. And it was dirty. Mm -hmm. I mean, the way that it was, you know, the war on Mm -hmm. cannabis was Mm -hmm. being operated um was not clean. God, so you've seen you've seen so much in the cannabis world. Well, There's let so me much. finish this yeah, story yeah. because oh, I've got God, to yeah. finish yeah, about yeah. when the guy came back. Uh-huh. So the guy comes back and he has his cash and he comes up to the, you know, counter and he's like at this point he's pissed because, you know, it's taking up his day and he doesn't like us anyway. Quick quick job on some hippies here didn't turn out to be so right. And I looked at him and I was like, We can't sell to you today. What? We can't sell to you today. Well, why not? I've got the cash. Well, we thought about it after you left, and we think you're growing pot. (laughs) (laughs) We started thinking about it, and we don't think you really are growing tomatoes. (laughs) And how do you respond? 
he was mad. The guy was so mad. He had a mullet. I'll never forget that. (laughs) And he just starts getting infuriated and obstinate. Well, I'm about half crazy, and my ex was like all the way there, and we and we're amped up because we know mm-hmm. what's yeah, going on, yeah. and we're literally like, "Get the fuck out of here, you you criminals!" <laughs> and we chase them out the door and don't come back. Was there anybody? Was there any other customers in the store? No. Oh, that is a riot. Oh. And we locked the door and we left. God. But it was intense. Wow. But it's a great story too. They were so mad. They were so mad and infuriated (laughs) with us. And like we were under investigation by the DEA for years after that too. Mm. Years like garbage searching oh under investigation. Like they were, you just saw people showing up looking in your trash. No, we had a friend whose wife was a um, employee of the DEA, and they were in the offices in Louisville, and they actually knew what was going on, so they could tell us about the investigations, and they tried to entrap us for years. I'm laughing now, and I mean, I I think back to all these experiences, and I laugh, and it just seems so outrageous. But at the time, it was really traumatic, and I actually had a miscarriage during that period because the stress was just incredible. And so, you know, it's fun to it's fun to laugh, but I think it's important to remember like what people really went through at that time as well. Hundred percent, hundred percent. My family lost over a thousand acres of land that the government confiscated. They weren't even growing weed on that land. You know, decades in prison. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. It, it, I mean, it's people real. have really suffered for this plant, so and. Um, as we're going into national legalization, I think it's important that we recognize what people have gone through, people that are still like, you know, alive and well today, to build the industry. And I really think it's important for people that did that to have a place at the table. Oh my God, I can't. When, when, I forget what states it was as as legalization started to roll out and I saw they were excluding individuals who had been arrested for cannabis previously. Mm -hmm. What, insult to injury, you know? I'm, I completely agree with you. Which circles back to, let's go back to Cornbread Mafia, which is where we started. And um, the reason I say I owe my career to the Cornbread Mafia is because during that time period, no one would shop at New Earth. Mm. Well, we were Bluegrass High Tech, but as soon as that happened, we changed our name Mm. because we wanted to disassociate from that experience. And so we um, changed our name to New Earth. 
But um, we were under investigation. It was a time of like really high anxiety and fear. And, you know, today, if someone gets busted growing cannabis, even a large grow, quite often they're just told to shut down. Of course, they pay a bunch of money, and they literally are told to just move out of state. Mm. And I know some people have had much harsher treatment than that, but the fear factor, I mean, if you are growing a reasonable amount of cannabis today, you can get out of trouble. Right. As long as you don't have guns or, you know, you're not doing something else. Mm-hmm. Where back then, that wasn't the way it was. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, Joe Keith and, you know, mm-hmm. the other guys, mm-hmm. Johnny. I mean, they spent most of their lives in prison right. over this yeah. plant. And when um, we were still open, we had sunk everything we had into New Earth. And we were in, and, you know, even though we wanted to maybe, we were questioning the wisdom of it at that time, we were so in, we couldn't get out. Mm-hmm. And so um, we had a lot of days where nobody bought anything. And those guys kept shopping. And that's why I owe so much to them. And I have heard since I've been in hemp and reconnected with some people that what they went through to shop was unbelievable. Like they would rent a car in Lebanon. They would rent another car in Shepherdsville. They would switch cars and then drive to my shop. With binoculars. <laughs> because they were aware that they were being watched. Yes. And that everybody was being but, watched, all the grow shops. But they continued. Yeah. Well, I mean, that takes a lot of courage. For sure. And they kept us in business during that season where, you know, 60 Minutes had had some big expose. I mean, people did not want to shop with us. And they kept us in business. So I'll always be grateful. And I'm really grateful that I still have like a collaborative um, relationship with the Cornbread Mafia. Mm -hmm. Um, They own Bicket and Boone Hemp Company. Mm -hmm. And so we are one of the Bicket and Boone distributors locally. And I still get to, you know, like appreciate and enjoy their company. Yeah. And, and I um, work with Robbie, who is the younger brother of the Bickets, and he keeps the company running. But they're great people and still doing a lot of great things for the community with fabulous product. Like the way they're growing hemp today is amazing. And I just hope that they... Um, get an opportunity to grow cannabis for us here in Kentucky mm-hmm. when that day mm-hmm. comes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. So, um, gosh, I have so many questions. I'm so curious about that whole experience. Just I'm, I'm trying to put myself in your shoes, just living under that stress and anxiety. Intense. PTSD. On a day-to-day PTSD, basis. for sure, Yeah. And that went on for how many years, probably? Oh, gosh. Well, that happened in 89. 
In 92, John and I moved down to Nashville to open a store in Nashville. And we were grateful to get out of Kentucky. And we kept the store up here open, but Mm -hmm. we felt like that would be a good shift. But then once we were in Nashville, which we had thought we were away from that, there was actually an attempt to entrap us again. And somebody that we had known and done business with back in the earlier days, pre, you know, when we were growing, they got busted and um, with a pretty hefty charge. They had been into some other things, I think. And um, they tried to entrap us using him. To um, and you know he hoped to lessen you know his charges in that manner or something. So that was back in '93, and I think um, of course that didn't happen. That didn't work out, and I think it wasn't too long after that that I guess they moved on to other things and kind of lost interest, you know, in us. Wow. So. And you had employees working mm-hmm. for you? Was it just, okay, mm-hmm. so you had to probably train them pretty oh extensively my on what to say, what not to say, what to be aware of? I should show you all some of these memos. I still, my brother cleaned some things out not too long ago and found all these memos that I had typed out and printed on my little dot matrix printer, you know, and it was all about how to respond to people. It was intense. Yeah. And everybody's freedom was on the line. And, you know, so we would put out all these memos and we had basically like Pat things that we did and said, and it was constant vigilance. I might add, if you got thrown out from New Earth during those days, sorry, Um, (laughs) but it it was kind of scary, and we just had to. (laughs) It strikes me that you must have certainly been one of very few women in this field. Actually... I think I was the first woman hydro shop owner. Uh-huh. I had never even thought of that until you said that. Well, I'm thinking like you could have an amazing book. Like you could write your story and your involvement in the foundation of of bringing this medicine to millions of people is is so incredible. And yeah, as a as a female leader in this space, like Massive respect. That's huge. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. I'm so glad I got the opportunity to do it. And it's been an interesting... First of all, I'd like to say I never felt like within the cannabis industry... I experienced discrimination as a woman Hmm. in the grow industry. Um, I never, the culture of that industry back when we got started was so inclusive. Everyone was helping everyone, and it was a real community 
of course, you know, when it's a pioneering industry and 90-something stores nationwide, and then we all trauma-bonded with Operation Green Merchant. Mm -hmm. And so there were women in the industry active, but I think I may have been the first woman owner. And it was really a great community of people at that time. There's so much about of what these plants are about, these these sacred plants, these medicinal plants. Oh yeah. The community is so much a part of the medicine itself. You know, cannabis really has exhibited that over the years, and I think we're starting to see that with psychedelics as well. Agreed. I mean, just how it Well, first of all, can you imagine how different all our communities would look if we had legal and safe access to this plant medicine? And I think that as a marginalized community and a community where there is discrimination and stigma, Mm -hmm. which you all are still experiencing, me, not quite as much anymore. You know, I've lived through that stigma, though. Um, it, I think it connects people, you know, because you have to be a certain kind of person to have that stigma and accept it and keep mo- moving forward mm-hmm. because you really deeply believe in yes. something. Yes. Yeah, that's what really, like, what is hitting me is that you persevered. And like, just, just knowing what living that way feels like and then seeing the vision of the future, Mm -hmm. that's not always easy. (laughs) That can be very challenging. It is, but I truly believed in what we were doing and not just what we were doing like the plant as medicine but also the right to the plant as medicine Mm -hmm. and i then and still believe that it's cruel to withhold that sort of healing from people when pharmaceuticals are readily available, as is alcohol, which is the antithesis of mm-hmm. therapeutic. So, I mean, I feel like I'm just that kind of person. I, I get going on something, and I am very passionate and driven, and this has just been... I think what started on this, though, how I really started on this, is my mother passed away from a long battle of cancer when I was in my mid-20s. And as you know, I was a cannabis consumer early on and a believer in the medicinal value of cannabis. This is pre-internet. I would go to the library. I would read High Times. But I mean, I was pursuing cannabis as medicine early on. Mm -hmm. And I think I was inspired to do that because I saw the suffering my mom went through Mm -hmm. from the time I was 13 years old. Mm -hmm. And she passed away when I was 26. Mm -hmm. And I remember begging her 
to consume to help alleviate some of the symptoms she was experiencing from her treatments, Mm -hmm. from her legal treatments. Mm -hmm. And she wouldn't do it because of the stigma and the fact it was illegal. That's so painful. And that stuck with me. And I really think that's what tripped my wire and drove me on this whole path. I mean, I'm just, I'm imagining how many people have been helped because of your work and your persistence. I mean, how many people, I mean, the cornbread mafia relied on your store. True. That's you never like, looked at, never looked at it that's that way. Like, yeah. I mean, how many, honestly, like millions of people. Yeah, no. They needed your supplies to grow and help people and serve people the plant medicine. And so, I mean, you're kind of a legend, Nancy. <laughs> well, um, thank you. If you, like, it's really cool, too, because when we started, the way that we grew is we used ProMix, Echo Grow, Echo Bloom, Bud Swell, and Super Thrive. There were very few products out at that time, Mm -hmm. and there are still, like, I still hear about people using our original formulas, which were so rudimentary, Wow, you know, compared to what's available out on the market today. But thank you. I mean, that means a lot. A lot of times, I don't really look at myself that way at all because I was just living and doing what I wanted to do and doing mm-hmm. kind of like what the only thing I could imagine to do mm-hmm. if that make that yeah. has to make sense. <laughs> yeah. I think we can identify. Yeah. Where it was not an easy path. I I was a paralegal. And no. um I actually worked as a paralegal while we grew you know, is a way to just kind of stay out there and stay in society and everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was also curious about that, your legal representation. I mean, with the grow shop and it being such a new realm uh, of business, like, was it challenging to find an attorney or did did you even have one for a while or we did have an attorney (laughs) and um he was a he was a guy in shepherdsville but nobody really knew cannabis law Mm -hmm. so we were all winging it at that time yeah wow Yeah, it's hard to believe that was so long ago, too, and how much things have progressed in that arena. I mean, just exploded. So it's exciting to see what people are doing today. And, you know, exciting, too, to think about that I know we will be able to grow plants Mm -hmm. here in Kentucky, just like we do in surrounding states, you know, in our lifetime. (laughs) So we still can look forward to that. I did not think five or ten years ago, I guess, well, when high school, let's say, 96, I would have never, ever, ever thought in my lifetime cannabis would be legal. And when it started to shift, I was really very surprised. And I'm still finding myself pretty surprised, even with psychedelics, how quickly that is moving. And cannabis is the, mm-hmm. 
it mm-hmm. has been the, the tip of the spear on this movement. You know, it has taken so much of the heat and so much of the uh, uh, the abuse. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's really incredible. And what I, I love most about this whole story that we're hearing is that you were just doing what you were inspired to do. I think that is the real heroic move here. It doesn't have to just be cannabis either. I mean, think about the billions of people on this planet that are not living their inspiration because of some stigma. And so if more people step out and do that, then we will have heaven on earth. That is the future that awaits us. And so as a uh, fellow soldier in the war on drugs, I'm, you know, cheers to our successes because we're, we're winning. (laughs) We are winning. I feel like there's really a cultural shift, Mm -hmm. but you know, we have to live true to ourselves Mm -hmm. and, and, and we inhibit social growth Mm -hmm. if we don't yes 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 whatever that means and we have to realize we are the pioneers all of us Mm -hmm. are the pioneers in some way and you know if you're not inspired to do something that's kind of on one end of the bell curve that's okay too Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. we all need stable entities in our lives and not everybody is cut out to basically live a life where you have the constant challenges. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's a lot. Mm -hmm. But if you are that person, I feel like it's our responsibility to be true to who we are because we're meant to do it. 100%. And that's kind of so, one of the questions that I have that may be too big for this conversation uh, and something to, to think about. But, you know, I often question where this inspiration comes from, you mm. know. And I guess I'm just curious about your spiritual practice and perspective and, and how that kind of weaves into your work as well. Well... That's a complex question. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a super spiritual person. Mm-hmm. I'm very pragmatic, and I practice Reiki mm-hmm. and have worked with a Reiki master for, I guess, about five years. And I guess some people would consider that spiritual. Mm-hmm. I do believe there's like an intelligent um, force within the universe, but I don't subscribe to any particular religious beliefs. Mm -hmm. I have a strong sense of Mm do-good, and what goes around comes around, where I believe that when we are where we're supposed to be, in our walk, in our lives, and with what we're doing, we get into an energetic flow where things happen that are good for us and good for the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I'll call that energy. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of people might say God or Buddha, mm-hmm. you know, when they think about that same energetic flow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, no, I identify with what you're saying very closely. Yeah, I'd love to talk with you about mushrooms. And okay, <laughs> since you know we are psilocybin says over here. Um, yes, yeah. Psilocybin says some stuff about cannabis too. <laughs> well, oh, yeah, I, well, I appreciate everyone listening to cannabis. Oh my I, gosh, I can talk for hours on this topic. No, yeah, but let's like, talk mushrooms. This is so yeah. The cannabis conversation is like a great lead up to this, and so important. But like, I'm curious about your journey with with mushrooms and like how did mushrooms enter into your life my first experience with mushrooms was the summer i was 16 with my boyfriend who i adored and he was home from college <laughs> it was a summer <laughs> romance but he introduced me to mushrooms and I didn't, I mean, it, it was purely recreational mm -hmm. and enjoyed them um, over the years. Honestly, it was kind of hard to find mushrooms. And, you know, if they came around, I would consume them recreationally. And then after I got into my business, and went through all these experiences. I mean, I didn't, I wasn't really doing anything. In fact, I quit using cannabis for a long time out of fear mm. and, you know, concern about mm -hmm. getting arrested. And, you know, we were so hot. Mm -hmm. But so what brought me back to mushrooms, though? Let's come to that. Um, my husband, Vance, has had chronic Lyme for many years. It was undiagnosed for many years where he kind of had all these nebulous health problems that no one could figure out what was wrong. Anybody that's had Lyme has gone through the same experience. We spent years and incredible amounts of money just trying to find out what was wrong. Um, once we realized it was Lyme, evidently he had had it for quite a while, and it's called chronic Lyme or long-term Lyme. And after you have undiagnosed, untreated Lyme for years, it goes into your brain. Mm. And he was having neurological symptoms, which is what, I mean, really disabled him for years. And so we were seeking solutions. In 2014, he had to quit working. He was the operation manager at New Earth. We were still owners of New Earth with my brother at that time. He was doing operations up there, and he was really struggling. Mm. And um, we just started realizing he wasn't remembering things. He was having some personality changes. He was, you know, not himself. And then he had a lot of physical symptoms that were, that then brought him into the healthcare circle deeper because we thought that he had Graves' disease. He mm. basically had a total health collapse. And um, mm. also a cognitive decline mm -hmm. for several years. Wow. 
And it just got really scary. He was under a doctor's care, and we were going to a um, naturopath as well. And people were saying they couldn't do anything else for him, and he might not ever come back. Because at that time, most days, his brain was functioning like someone with early to mid-onset Alzheimer's. Mm. And he was in his mid-50s. So terrified, we started seeking solutions, and we kept coming across microdosing. Mm. And I hadn't been, you know, I hadn't been into mushrooms, I mean, for many years. In fact, I have to say, I didn't really look at, at mushrooms as a medicinal product at that time. I thought it was all about the trip. Mm -hmm. I'd been hearing some that it was helpful for depression, and you know that had already started kind of getting out there, but I wasn't really interested in that. It was all about cannabis with me. Mm -hmm. And we were desperate, and we were ready to try anything. So we got some mushrooms from a friend, and that person um, had a grower that worked with MAPS. Mm. And they taught us what to do. And we started my, my husband on a microdosing protocol. And within a couple days, he started coming back really? mentally. Really? So we were facing the idea that my husband in his mid-50s was going to have early-onset dementia for the rest of his life and just generally degrade. Well, you know, I wasn't going to sit for that. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, we're going to do whatever it takes. And that looked like mushrooms. So we get the mushrooms we get the, you know, we grind them up in a coffee grinder, you know, and put together capsules. So he had consistent dosing. And he did the first day's dose and was more alert. And, you know, he was still like, he would have alert days, but he had many days where he was not alert, where you could have a long conversation with him. And the next day he would not remember it. I mean, he was suffering, and he would get up in the morning and honestly very kind of just like depressed physically and emotionally, where just not functioning, literally not functioning cognitively. So I was terrified. He was so far out there, he should have been terrified, but he wasn't. You know, and we got the mushrooms, and he just started turning around. I believe that mushrooms saved his life. So that's how I got into wow. mushrooms. Um, so did how long does he, does he maintain microdosing regimen, or was this for an extended period of time? How did how did we used the Stamets? regimen mm -hmm. at that time, which is what he suggests. And I can't quite remember. I think it was maybe three days on, four days off. That could be 
totally wrong. But he did that off and on. He would go on for a while, and then he'd take a break. And he did that for years. Wow. And um, then we started getting into functional food mushrooms Mm -hmm. because the Stamets stack is something that we were reading about as we were learning how to, you know, use the mushrooms, the microdosing and everything. And that is a lion's mane niacin blend Mm. that you use alongside your um, microdosing, and it helps the um, mushrooms constituents cross the blood-brain barrier. And that's what the, the niacin, you know, assist with. And so we started, you know, learning about using the other mushrooms that are functional foods too, like lion's mane without microdosing, but for cognition. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, cordyceps and, you know, turkey tail and everything for health. So we started using all of the therapeutic functional food mushrooms as well at that time. And it started changing his life, and then it started changing my life because I needed to microdose. I mean, I have all sorts of issues, and, you know, PTSD from the experiences we were just talking about being one of them. Mm-hmm. And um, I started microdosing and just finding how much it improved my mental health and helped me grow and understand myself and the world around me better Mm. and really opened up my, it opened up my world a lot. And that kind of flowed into Reiki, you (laughs) know, so then that took me into Reiki. And I think it's just been a flow of plant goodness Mm -hmm. along with really learning, you know, about the energy of the universe and the plants Mm -hmm. and how they can work together to help us Mm -hmm. heal. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, to be fair, microdosing did not cure my husband's Lyme, but it was what I consider to be the number one tool that helped him start coming back from some really dark years for him and for our whole family. Have you all um, talked much about doing a bigger dose of mushrooms? He has. um, In fact, he has said multiple times he thinks that might be a um, missing link for his healing mm. because we haven't done anything but microdose. And um, I think maybe it could be a missing link for his healing because he's been on the path of improvement for several years, but he's not where he wants to be. And literally was just telling me in the last couple days, he feels like he's got a lot of blanks from the Lyme that he wants to, you know, his cognition to return, like memories that he doesn't have, 
but mm. also um, just kind of coming back. I mean, he's come back from almost living in death, you know, just lack of hope, lack of cognition to see the future. And that's a lot to come back from. Mm -hmm. And so now he's on this path where he's um, very aware. And I mean, living is a neurotypical. He wired up our hot tub last year, you know, and so he's really improved, but he feels like there's still a long way to go. Mm. And I mean, Vance is brilliant and truly a genius. And so for him to have gone through this cognitive decline has been where he found a lot of his identity in thoughts and, you know, being able to do so many things. He was He's kind of a Renaissance man. And so to have that taken from him, and now he's on this path of building it back, you know, where a lot of people would feel like, oh, well, you're doing all these things. You're great. But he misses what he's lost still today. And so he is interested in pursuing larger doses mm -hmm. to see if he can have a different kind of healing. Yeah. I'm, I'm Do you so all think that's a good idea? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I'd be so curious to to see what he's told, you know, the perspective that that he could get in that type of deeper communion with the mushroom. Mm -hmm. It's such a, such a powerful experience for so many people. Um, so, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I've, I've read so much about people who are using larger doses, getting true physical healing. Mm -hmm. Did you all read about the guy that was um, paralyzed? Yeah, I mean, it's worth doing. And also, you know, I've had a lot of experiences with mushrooms that were um, heart opening and soul opening. And although I don't really feel the desire during this season to do that, um, he does, you know, where I feel like I've achieved a lot of that in the past and with smaller doses that where I still feel very much in control. But, you know, you're just getting information downloaded on you, right, where you become aware. I mean, one one time I remember I did a strong microdose where I was kind of verging on tripping, but I wasn't, you know, there. I was... And just came to this realization, I treat all my relationships like they're temporary. Hmm. Wow. Coming from living from the time I was a young teenager expecting my mother to die. Mm. You know, yeah, I mean, and I, and I discovered that mm. while microdosing. Mm. Um, but with... 
with um I don't feel like I need more than that at this season. Maybe mm-hmm. another time I will, but right now I, I don't. But yes, he definitely feels like it could be beneficial for him. It's interesting to hear you say you're somebody who likes to be in control, um, which I can't relate to at all. <laughs> Just <Right>. kidding, obviously. <laughs> Uh, We've talked before. Yeah. (laughs) But just like hearing your story, um, you know, like the the level of let go and faith someone like you like has to have to go through what you have been through and be on the cutting edge of the cannabis industry and like even still today you are doing something that most people would never dare to even mess with like you know so it's just interesting to hear you say that because I see you as somebody who has such like faith in in the process and the you know the belief that you know you stated that what goes around comes around and and so it's interesting how those two things can exist at once. <laughs> Irony. Yeah. <laughs> well, I am a driven person by this. And as I have gotten older, I I don't feel driven in an unhealthy way. I feel driven in I have a lot I want to do. And I am at this time getting to live my dream. Mm. And so I want to do it. You know, I mean, I never thought back in 88 or particularly after Green Merchant and going through all those things, I would be someplace like this today. And then even when hemp got started and you know that's when I sold New Earth Mm -hmm. my brother and I were partners and he bought New Earth from me and he's still operating New Earth today but um, you know when I got into One Love never even thought we'd have THC mushrooms weren't even on the horizon Mm -hmm. as something that possibly we could get into as an industry as a legal industry Mm -hmm. So now we're right here. We're living the dream. It's super exciting to be part of it. Mm -hmm. And to even, like, I'm humbled. First of all, I don't consider myself a leader. I consider myself somebody that's been around a long time that's worked really hard. (laughs) (laughs) Also known as a leader. (laughs) (laughs) But... It's an it's really like an honor to be able to live this out. Mm. And so I'm happy to still be here and still doing things and be healthy. You know, in my 60s, I feel better than I've probably felt in my entire life. And I, you know, attribute that to plants. Mm. <laughs> and really better mental health as a result of plants, Mm. you know, because you've got to have good mental health to have good physical health and to make it all work for for us. And so, I mean, I feel like I owe 
plants, you know, a lot. And I hope that I can help take plants from the stigmatized, kind of fearful arena into a wholesome, family-friendly arena, Mm. which is why I'm so honored, really, to collaborate with you all, Mm. because I know that's where you also sit. And I think that by doing that, we are contributing to society, because if we can remove the fear and we can mirror and display how family, like psychedelics and cannabis are family values. And that is something that I think there is misunderstanding about because family values means good health and good mental health and sustainability and being able to take care of yourself Mm -hmm. and to take care of others. And the reason it's so stigmatized is because of the black market. And the reason they're considered gateways are because once you're in the black market, it is a gateway to other black market items. And so I deeply believe that plant medicine is a family value, Mm -hmm. and that's what I'm doing today still. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's been such an honor And I'm so grateful that I've been able to develop Gummy Girl products. Mm -hmm. And now the Myco Girl products is because these are really products that help people and that are safe to use and they're, they're not scary. And we're trying to market them and educate people in a way that makes people feel safe to use them. Mm -hmm. And really, I feel like one of the largest segments of the population that um, has stigma, you know, still on plant medicine is the um, religious population. And for what I, for the people that I know personally and that I, you know, have been involved with is the Christian um, population. And my husband is like a missionary's kid. He grew up in Guadalajara, Mexico on the mission field. And his father was um, a Southern Baptist board member for many years. And, of course, I was raised in religious traditions and practiced religious traditions for many years and respect, you know, everyone's religious traditions, obviously. But I feel like that is the segment of the population where there is a lot of pushback on plant medicine. And it sounds crazy, but I want everyone to feel comfortable with plant medicine and I want to make it accessible to you know everyone that's why we're literally we're introducing like church discounts 
for churches that want to participate, awesome. not just to the sanctuary church, yeah. <laughs> but in you know, but That's any awesome. church where if that that way, if they want to have that, we will give a you know a church discount. Because we see that as a way of opening these doors to normalizing plant medicine. Mm -hmm. That's also a reason that I really like to teach about microdosing, not just microdosing, you know, psilocybin, Mm -hmm. but microdosing THC. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of people associate cannabis consumption with like take the edible they took when they were 22 and like were half for three days you know right i know yeah yeah that's that's i'm glad you bring that up it's so interesting to me that uh that's that segment of our population is is that way considering the beliefs of you know are like God-given plants and God-given rights to practice our faith and spirituality. And, you know, yeah, it's, it's very interesting to me, but I think it's swinging back. Like after people have been so mm-hmm. burnt by the pharmaceutical industry and we're making this pendulum swing back into natural medicines. And I feel like that religious segment of population is... and burned by religion you know the dogma absolutely yeah as well you know so i think yeah we're i think we are going to see a a beautiful hybridization of this plant medicine world and spiritual practice and kind of as you're talking about with reiki you know spirituality is not a god in the sky telling you who you can have sex with and what you can eat and you know all that kind of stuff spirituality is the mystery it's the part of our lives that we can't see you know that we we can observe it we can experience it but we can never put our finger on it mm-hmm. you know and these religions have been for millennia not just putting a finger on it but putting the smack down on everybody and so it's a beautiful thing to see this transition that doesn't mean that there's any inherent disrespect to these ex- existing religious traditions absolutely right Everything has to grow and evolve or it will die. And so my encouragement, and I think it's a beautiful example that you're setting, and maybe we could consider it sanctuary in having somehow opening our doors doors wider to those who are currently practicing a religion so that we can help move this thing forward faster because that's what it's all about is evolution. And just like if we're not mm-hmm. following our inspiration, we're slowing evolution, which is the mechanism that advances all life on earth. You know, so I don't know. You are, you, I've, I've, what little I've known of you so far, I've really admired you, but like this is just a whole new level, really. Kind of just this next kind of layer that we peeled off as to who you are and how you have helped to provide Courtney and I in sanctuary an opportunity to to be what we are right now. Oh wow! Well, thank you. I think that goes a little too far because no. you all, I mean, you, Eric. I remember, you know, back when I sat next to you at the Mighty Kindness Hoot. Oh. Oh. Wow. And I mean, you've been pushing this along in your space too 
as have so many other people that we don't even know about exactly. because it's all been underground. And all the medicine makers mm-hmm. in their kitchens, you mm-hmm. know, making medicine for patients, and that's been going on. And, you know, just so much respect for all those people. But also, I want to give people the respect of knowing that we all have internalized belief systems, and usually it's going to take some sort of event in our lives to push us beyond those belief systems. And so I understand not everybody is constantly wanting to examine their beliefs, like some of us, <laughs> you know, and um, those people don't have insomnia. <laughs> but you, a lot of times we'll have some sort of large event that makes us reevaluate our internalized thoughts, like our event with my husband mm-hmm. that made us reevaluate what we thought about mushrooms Mm -hmm. and where we had thought it was sort of like, you know, people having fun tripping. I mean, really, I didn't have anything against it, but it certainly, you know, wasn't something I wanted to engage in and it really wasn't something that I was going to promote as medicine. And then when we were desperate, we reintroduced and then that shifted our lives again. And when we open ourselves up to these things, it makes you re-examine so much. Yes, yes. And that's really what we all need. Yes. Because we have internalized belief systems that were developed when we were little that we don't even know why we have them. Mm -hmm. And it takes a lot of courage to re-examine some of our core beliefs because that always spreads out like mycelium (laughs) to our other beliefs. Mm -hmm. And that's the way it is with cannabis. And that's why hemp being legal has been so incredibly helpful for plant medicine in Kentucky because hemp started as CBD only. And when we opened One Love, we were the first hemp dispensary in Kentucky, and all we had was CBD. And, um, you know, loads of people were coming in in an effort to make things more effective because really CBD is very helpful, but we need THC. We need whole plant medicine, mm-hmm. not just CBD. Right. And we brought in terpenes. My business partner, Jana, had already gone to Tricome Institute, and she got um, second-level certification with her terpene studies. And she she did this originally thinking she might do... Um, cannabis and wine pairings, but then got into the medicinal use of terpenes. And she came back and got me really into terpenes, and we started adding terpenes into CBD. 
and this was in 2018 when most people weren't doing this. And basically, for those that don't know what terpenes are, a really easy way to understand it, basically the um, essential oils of cannabis. That's a very, very basic explanation. But it is what you smell and what you taste in all plants. All plants have terpenes. Cannabis has some of the most complex. So the terpenes, they are really important for all of the products that we produce. And that's one of the biggest things that I guess sets Gummy Girl apart and Myco Girl are the terpenes. So it's been really a pleasure and just honestly, it's like making... Making medicine in gummy form. Of course, this is not an FDA-approved message. (laughs) (laughs) It's not medicine. You are not a doctor. That's right. But that's how we approach it. So when we develop a gummy for gummy girl, that we put a lot of thought into terpene combinations. And our manufacturer, who is a licensed manufacturer out of state, they have said that they have never seen any gummy company put as many terpenes, Mm. as much concentration of terpenes in their product as we do. And I think that's why they're so effective. So we have so many different, you know, strain profiles that we have come up with in an attempt to provide like something for, you know, inflammation, something for focus, something for mood lift. Um, We have tried to develop gummies specifically for the autism community Mm. that with strain profiles that we know are going to be helpful for people. Like our target um, market within the autism community is really adults who are, you know, out in the neurotypical world living and are looking for additional support. And um, we get, we are an autism certified friendly business though. And we do work with a lot of parents as well um, with CBD products and terpenes with the CBD products. And then we developed Myco Girl because basically I was taking all these products every day and I wanted to do, I wanted a gummy with everything in them. So as with most of our products, we developed them for ourselves and we share them with everyone else. But I mean, every day I would be taking lion's mane and cordyceps and some CBD and some THC and then some terpene infusions and then maybe some CBD or like a little bit of Delta 10. And I just decided I wanted to make something that can be a standalone product and have in it all these things that we want every day or something that could really... um, really be a great adjunct and add on to your microdosing protocol. Mm -hmm. And so far, what we've developed with Myco Girl 
are uh, we have three products right now one is inspired oh nice they get a cannabis leaf and mushrooms together i love I it i love our logo <laughs> lifted is, who is anybody else doing this is anybody else doing terpenes and functional mushrooms that you know of I don't know. I think we could be the first in the country. That's incredible. Legal. That's incredible. First in the country, yeah. but I could be totally wrong because I don't get out there much. <laughs> With a few Google searches, I couldn't find anything. Yeah. And then this is Daily Boost. So the Daily Boost is THC-free. The cannabis in Daily Boost, the cannabinoid, is cbg which is considered the mother of all cannabinoids. It's the precursor to other cannabinoids in the plant. And it's not as prevalent as CBD, but it is amazing for calm focus mm. is the easiest way to describe it. It really is fantastic for mood support. And so many of us that are microdosing are looking for mood support. Mm -hmm. So the Daily Boost has ashwagandha in it, which yeah. is K66 ashwagandha, which is easily absorbable and high quality. It's got D3. It's got vitamin B12. It has... Um, Cordyceps. Yes, that's the. Um, it's got lion's mane and cordyceps. BCG. Yeah. Wow. And so that is a THC-free product that you can really feel when you take that. Everyone that's been taking this, this is our beta release. We think we might tweak things just a little bit on our next run. Mm. But they work beautifully. We thought we'd boost the flavor on them just a tad so you get a little bit more flavor pop, you know, since the mushrooms are earthy. But they do taste good. You all can try those. Oh, and thank you. the um, daily boost, you can really feel. So that's a great product for anyone. This is really exciting. And then the Lifted and the Inspired, they are lion's mane dominant with cordyceps, with Delta 9 THC, with some CBD, with terpenes that are an uplifting, they each have a specific terpene profile that is very uplifting. And then um, one of them has some Delta 10 at it, just a small amount, which Delta 10 is extremely uplifting. It's not really um, intoxicating, but it gives you just a boost, mm -hmm. an energetic yeah. boost. Yeah. And I think that goes well with your mushroom microdosing protocol. And the THC and the Lift It and the Inspired is only five milligrams of Delta 9, which is what I consider a THC microdose. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that way, if someone has a little bit higher tolerance, they can take a couple. Mm -hmm. But if you, own, if you have a low tolerance and you want a microdose of THC, you can still take a full gummy and get the full effect of the other, you know, you know like the lion's mane and the cordyceps and everything else in there. Mm -hmm. So you're not having to have 
those constituents in order to have your THC. It's at a THC level that almost everyone will find acceptable. There's not enough talk about microdosing THC. No. It's really powerful. I didn't realize that until three or four years ago and found like I, I should do that more. I generally take like a half a gummy, but if I was to take like an eighth, really, like I, I love when I get just that, just a little touch, you know? Yeah. This is so incredible. You really, this is beautiful. Well, I'm really into microdosing as an older woman who has low hormones. One of our common complaints is a feeling of flatness. And most doctors want to give postmenopausal women antidepressants to combat that that sense. Oh, really? You don't need that. This sort of microdosing THC as well as using, you know, like lion's mane and the products that are in these gummies, it's perfect for anybody to feel more uplifted. So it's a great standalone, but when you're using it with your microdosing protocol, you know how on your off days, sometimes you can also have that feeling of flatness mm-hmm. or you wish, I mean, a lot of patients wish that they could have that same cognition uplift on their off days. And that's what they're hoping to accomplish through microdosing mm-hmm. is to have that uplift, you know, consistently well, what we're finding with MycoGirl is just these small amounts of cannabinoids mixed with the mushrooms. They give you that uplift you're looking for without true intoxication because mm-hmm. it's a microdose. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I want to eat these every day of my life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think a lot of people that are trying them, I hope, are having the same similar positive mm-hmm. experience. And now I don't have to take all those ingredients that I've been mashing together in the mornings in my smoothie, but I have it all in a gummy too. Yeah, you can just open one mm-hmm. bottle instead mm-hmm. of six or seven. I think this is so uh, synchronistic. Uh, that you're releasing these, like beta testing these now as we're in the middle of beta testing our subtle sacrament program with Sanctuary. And we're going to release it, uh, the program to all of our members in February. And this is just so exciting that we're collaborating and beginning that relationship. And you've got this going on. And this is one of a kind. Well, we need to do something for the sanctuary members. And we need to talk about this off. But I'm like, we need to put together like a little sample packet for everybody to try along with their program. And hopefully we can do that too. Um, we're going to introduce this at a real launch at the Canadelic Conference in Miami in February. So we're really excited about that opportunity and hope that, you know, people can actually come down there as well. Well, I also want to say to our listeners who are not sanctuary members that um, One Love Dispensary does ship. So you can order this in all 50 states. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. We will be getting these online probably as soon as we get through the holidays. Mm -hmm. Right now, they're just released in our three dispensaries. And you could go to One Love Delta 8 dot com and we ship for free 
And we also have onelovehempdispensary.com, also shipped from fr- um, for free there. And we're um, launching gummygirl.fun. Nice. So gummygirl.fun doesn't have any um, credit card processing yet, but you can go there and view, and then there's a link to our other websites where you can go purchase as well. Well, you know that uh, the whole reason that we opened... Uh, Michael Meditations in Jamaica was because for since the year 1999, I was very deeply embedded in uh, Rasta one love culture. And so to come back from Jamaica and now find one love dispensary and us developing this relationship and Michael girl, and it's just a beautiful synchronicity and a full circle for me that just kind of even more enriches the experience. You know, when I drive past One Love now, because I obviously love your products and love you, but that history, it just it just creates a, a big fucking hug in my heart. I don't know how else to say it. I'm just like, One Love is the perfect. Yes. It's perfect. It it's perfect. is One Love. And we are really just honored to walk aside, you know, beside you all as we all progress in, you know, plant medicine and bringing that to Kentucky and beyond. So thank you all for everything you're doing. And I love the fact that you are stable. Like a lot of times in our industries, there's the stigma and their fe- the fear. And to be with you all who have great values, you've got a family, and stability and, you know, and safety mm-hmm. is paramount. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just really respect that and appreciate that. And we're happy to, I'm happy to be here today. Yeah, so much so. Yeah, did, Cor- so did Courtney tell you about our, our one question that we always ask no Uh oh you're on the spot here (laughs) so what does psilocybin say to you love Mm. yes love and respect that's more more of my uh Rasta <laughs> theology. Uh, not that I'm, I'm not a Rasta, but yeah, it is. Love and respect is what drew me to Rasta culture. Um, and I think that is the future for humanity. We're, we are moving in that direction and plants are helping to move us that way. Well, you know, it's a busy world and it can be tough, you know. And I believe that products like this help us be our best you know, and help us put out there in our part of the world what can be life-changing for us and for other people. And that's what it's all about is trying to create that. I mean, it sounds almost, you know, corny, heaven on earth, but we only get to live once, and this is all we've got. And there's a lot of enduring that's going on in our society today, and we don't need to endure. And this is just one great tool, Mm. you know, several great tools to help us, you know, level up. Because really, 
fun is an important part of healing, too. Yes. (laughs) Feeling good is an important part of healing. And so, you know, these products are great for our bodies. The mushrooms are great for our bodies. And I don't think there's any shame in having fun and using them recreationally as well because that's all part happiness is an important important part of health absolutely mm-hmm. totally absolutely. This is, this gosh the conversation we've been having for the last few weeks around this is fun okay because, you know there's there are people who suggest that you know trying to have fun is somehow escaping responsibility or being immature and and that is the old programming from that old time religion from that old just paradigm <laughs> it's it's kind of ironic to think that treating depression does not include fun <laughs> yeah yeah. Hold on. You're depressed. Like, you're not supposed to. Like, you know, anxiety and depression is epidemic, but fun is a dirty word. Yeah, no. There is a connection to that. Yeah, definitely. And so, you know, I actually come from a family that has had um, several family members with addiction issues. And my father's side of the family had a lot of alcoholism. And I truly understand and promote responsible consumption of everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, including what we think, what we eat, Mm -hmm. and, you know, anything that is intoxicating. And we want to be aware of that. But... I also believe that if you feel good while doing good things for yourself, it's a win for us, and it's a win for our entire society. We need a lot more mm-hmm. of that. Yeah. And so that's why I'm going to be giving Myco Girl to all of my servers that I <laughs> that I see, and really just trying to spread the word. Like one thing I want to do is get like little two packs with a business card type label on the back that explains mm-hmm. how you can feel better using products like this yeah, and just giving those out. Yeah, and I before I forget to mention, you've uh, One Love has so kindly offered 25% off for one-time use mm-hmm. on uh, One Love's website. So we'll right. provide that code in the show notes Yay. below. That's so thank awesome. you so much, Nancy. Like, I hope we record together like way more than just one more time. <laughs> oh, me too. Well, thank you all so much for having me. It's been a lot of fun and I hope we get to do this again. Yeah, me too. And thanks for everything you all are doing too.